0: Amen, amen for girls who bring boys back to church, right? No, but if you do have questions, uh, please sign up for Alpha. It is such an incredible opportunity for you to explore the faith if you have questions at all or if you're like, what is this Christianity thing about? It is an awesome opportunity. So anyways, most of you know me, but many of you may not know me. My name is Amy and I used to be on staff here. I was youth and young adult pastor. I'm officially a guest speaker now though because I'm a mom at home and um, it has been going awesome. Obviously, the last time I was here, was right before covid i was able to preach and i was like out to here 7 months pregnant and then little levi he joined us so these are my boys levi is now almost 4 months and cooper's almost 15 months so we're busy at home but it's a lot of fun and such a blessing to be there and so um thankfully my husband gets to watch the boys and i get to be here this morning it is so good because To bring two babies to church with no nursery, we would be out in the foyer annoying all of you guys who are here because our boys would probably be screaming. Um, They're usually not screamers, but let's be honest, in a church building, it just wouldn't go very well. So I feel very blessed to be able to see you guys this morning, Um, you are our church family and we love you guys. So anyways, though, why don't we pray and get into the word and see what God has for us. Jesus, we just thank you so much for today. We thank you that you love us that you died for us that you rose again and you sent your holy spirit to live in us to empower us to live as you would have us live lord to breathe to be a light to the nations and so god i just pray that you would come this morning speak to us whether we're here in the building or whether we're at home in our living rooms holy spirit we just ask that you would come and that you would do your work. If you need to convict, that you would do that. If you need to encourage, that you'd do that. Inspire, empower all of it, Lord. We just ask that you would do your work in us. So Father, we love you and thank you in your precious name, amen. So as I said, my oldest, Cooper, he's almost 15 months, and he is so fun these days. He's just, um, well, he walks sometimes. He's pretty lazy. Well, actually, no, he's just a really fast crawler. But it's really fun because he is learning so much. And he's always watching Trevor and I to see what we do because he that's how he picks up on things. That's how he learns is by watching us and watching the people around us. In fact, all of us watched our parents and siblings to learn how to do things and what to do. And so a couple things that he's learning, he's saying bye-bye and waving, usually after people don't even see him. He's like, bye-bye. And I'm like, You could have done that five minutes ago, you know, when they were still here and saying goodbye. Um, Another thing that he's doing is he uh, loves his little brother Levi. I was really nervous about how that would go, having this uh, 11-month-old and bringing a newborn home and thinking, oh, is he going to attack him or what? But it has been so sweet because here's the thing. Cooper's not very affectionate, kinda like me, I guess. Um, But he will hardly give me a kiss. I think he's kissed me once. I'll be like, can you give mom a kiss? And he's only done it once. But Levi, it is the cutest thing. He'll crawl up to Levi, and the first time I was like, "Oh, what are you gonna do?" You know, and he'll get over top of him and kiss him on the forehead. And I'm like, "Oh my goodness, that is the cutest thing." But here's the thing: he watches his mom and dad kiss Levi on the forehead all the time, and so that's what you do with the baby—you kiss the baby on the forehead. And just this weekend, he took the bottle and he tried to feed Levi. It was a little bit of a disaster, but it was really funny because he's like, "This is what you do—you." Feed the baby with this thing, and so he's watching to figure out how do I live? What is this life supposed to be like? And you know, in our faith, we should be asking the same question as well: How am I supposed to live? What does that look like? And all of us who have become Christians, we usually try to look around and find examples that we can imitate and um, and learn how to live as we're uh, as a Christian. And you know, even if you're a new Christian, obviously you're looking for people that you can imitate, but even as old Christians, long time Christians, life is not static, it's always changing and moving. And so in lots of different seasons in our life, we should be asking, how am I supposed to live as a Christian in this situation? It's a question that never really gets old. And I love it because in the New Testament, we t- like Paul talks a lot about this to different churches. And we're gonna be in Galatians chapter five today if you wanna turn there in your Bibles. And I love this because Paul is writing to this church in Galatia, which is a brand new church basically, right? Like the, in the New Testament, Christians were an offshoot of the Jewish religion and they didn't really have examples to go off of. Well, they had Jesus who is the ultimate example, right? And they had the gospels, thankfully that was, Um, how they figured out how we can live like Christ, um, and they had the Gospels, but that didn't come for a while later. And so Paul, he's actually writing to this church in this region of Galatia and trying to encourage them and instruct them on how they're supposed to live as a Christian. Now, it's interesting because a lot of the the Christians in that young church were Gentile converts. And uh, so these Gentile converts had become Christians. There were some Jews, but they didn't really know what it's supposed to look like. They didn't have those examples. And this left a vulnerability in their understanding of how to be a Christian. And unfortunately, some people from Jerusalem came who were zealous Christians, or sorry, zealous Jews, and they came and they started to confuse these young Gentile converts um, to say, you need to be circumcised, actually, to be a Christian, and the reason that these Judaizers were doing this is because they wanted to promote themselves in the synagogue. So these Gentile Christians were like, well, maybe that's what we're supposed to do. Maybe, maybe we need to be circumcised. And it was kind of appealing because then they would fit somewhere in society at least, because the synagogue was, was recognized in the Roman world, whereas the Christian church really wasn't recognized and it was seen more as a, um, a rebellious thing Whereas the Jews, they were doing their own thing, it was fine. So it was kind of appealing because they'd fit in a community at least there. Um, But the thing, because here's the thing, Gentiles, they gave up everything to be a Christian. You know, here in North America, we might lose a couple friends, our parents might think we're weird, Um, the society might see us as bigots, but in the New Testament, like back when the church was first starting, they gave up everything. Friends, family, their, their means of making a, um, making a living usually was stripped from them because the, a lot of the trades were part of these business guilds, and those guilds were tied to idol worship and the temples and everything, so they'd be kicked out of that socially. Uh, most of the social activities had to do around worship of idols, and then a lot of times, they were even persecuted to the point of death. See, these Gentile Christians were facing extreme persecution. And so they thought, well, maybe if we're circumcised, at least we'll fit into the synagogue. So this is what Paul is kind of addressing throughout his entire letter. And he's a, he makes these um, comparisons in chapter four between being the promised child or a slave child. And then he comes to one of his main points in chapter five, verse one, and this is what it says. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. See, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And he reiterates that again in verse 13. He says, you, my brothers, were called to be free." See, Jesus came and he died for us to set us free, but maybe we're asking freedom from what? Because the Jews were thinking that the Messiah was gonna come and set them free from the Roman rule and all of that stuff. But we know when we read scripture that Jesus came to set us free from sin and free from the law or legalism. See, there's two types of slavery that Paul addresses in this chapter. And the first one has to do with the law or legalism, so not being circumcised through verses two through 12, and I'm not gonna go much into this, but um, you guys can read it later, but basically Paul says, do not go back to being circumcised. And the reason that he's concerned that they're wanting to be circumcised is because that was a sign of the old covenant. And the thing about the old covenant is that it was a package deal. See, God made a, an agreement or, a, yeah, a covenant with the people of Israel. And he says, if you will be my people, I will be your God. But here's the stipulations to this agreement. If you do these things, you will be blessed. But if you don't, you will be cursed. And it's kind of cool because if you, actually, if you read ancient Near Eastern literature, there are different va- or conquering kingdoms that have the very same kind of wording um, in the agreement's with vassal kingdoms that they conquer. Now God isn't a conquering king, but rather he chooses the nation of Israel to say, I wanna have a relationship with you. And if you live holy and set apart, that's why I'm choosing you so that you can be a light to the nations. So he makes this agreement with them, this old covenant, and the sign of that old covenant was circumcision. But here's the deal. It was a package deal. You can't just pick and choose different things that you want to obey in the law. You had to obey all of it, but nobody could obey all of it. Nobody was perfect. Everybody failed. And so that failure, see, God is a perfect, holy God. And in order to have a relationship with him, we needed to be perfect and holy. And we can't be on our own because of this thing called the sin nature. And see, this is why Jesus came. He was God in the flesh. And he said, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna pay the penalty of their sin, which is death. And I am perfect, I can fulfill the law and I'm gonna pay that penalty and I'm gonna die in their place so that we can have relationship, God can have relationship with us. See, this is really good news. Jesus came to set us free. We don't have to try to be good Christians. We don't have to try to fulfill the law. We don't have to be circumcised. We don't have to obey the law and be burdened by that yoke of I'm not good enough. And you know, I spent a lot of my life as a young Christian trying to be good enough. And I actually would judge other people who didn't measure up. And it's just this uptight bondage as a Christian. See, God has called us to be free. It's for freedom's sake that we have been set free. Stand firm then in that. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. That's what Paul says to these Galatians. Don't go back to the law, because God, Jesus has established a new covenant in his blood. You have been called to be free. So that's the first type of slavery that Paul mentions. But I think, you know, if we've been in the church for a long time, we might struggle with legalism. Um, And it's too bad, I really did Put that on that yoke on different people in high school and i think uh some of my old campers they even turned away from christ because they felt like they couldn't be good enough and i i was one of those people that put that burden on them that they weren't supposed to bear so maybe you struggle with legalism i'd say to you guys you're free you're free to walk in the spirit But I think most of us in North America don't struggle too much on the side of legalism. I think we'd actually struggle on the other side, which is living without restraint. See, if we continue to read verse 13, this is what it says. But you, my brothers, were called to be free. However, but do not use your freedom to indulge in sinful nature. See, on one hand, he's saying, do not submit to the law anymore. You've been set free from that, but you're not free to do whatever you want to do. In North America, a lot of times we think about freedom as infringing on my rights, or sorry, boundaries as infringing on my rights. So we think freedom is being set free from those responsibilities and able to do what I want and when I want, and if anybody tells me otherwise, well, you have no right to because these are my rights, and we like to you know, stand on our rights in North America because we're free. We can do whatever we want. And we actually look at boundaries as a bad thing a lot of the time, which is interesting because boundaries are actually for our good so that we can actually enjoy life, so that we can actually have fun. Think about a soccer game. If you had no rules it had no boundaries, it would be mass chaos and it wouldn't be very fun. Some people are picking up the ball with their hands. You might have more than one ball on the field. There could be multiple people, way more people on the field than you want. Some people might be tackling and who knows if you've scored a goal or not? Who even knows if you're winning? It wouldn't be very fun it would be chaos. It'd be like playing with middle schoolers. No, I'm just kidding, I love playing soccer with middle schoolers, but it is a little bit of chaos. But think about boundaries within, uh, for my kid, Cooper, right? If I let him do whatever he wants, he would um, play with the electrical sockets all day and probably have a couple zaps. It wouldn't be very fun. He wouldn't be safe. Think about marriage without boundaries of being an exclusive commitment between two people, saying no to everybody else and yes to one person forever. If you don't have those boundaries, there's insecurity in the marriage and the family unit eventually falls apart. Boundaries are for our good. And so Paul is saying, hey, don't use your freedom to just do whatever you want. Rather live within restraint. And how do we do that? How do we live this life in freedom? The freedom that God has given us, how do we do that within restraint? and it's through Spirit-empowered living. It's through walking in the Spirit. Listen to what he says in verse 16, I love this. So I say, here's the fact of the matter. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law again in verse 25 he says if we live by the spirit let us keep in step with the spirit how do we say no to our sinful nature It's by walking in the spirit did you notice all the different verbs that he uses live by the spirit walk by the spirit be led by the spirit keep in step with the spirit that last part, keeping in step with the spirit is like, it's um, a terminology used with the army where you're lined up and you're following your leader. We are called to live in the spirit, to walk in him. And when we live in the spirit, when we're empowered by him, we can say no to sinful nature. And it's really cool because we can be free. This is a really, really exciting thing actually because God sets us free from the consequences of our sinful nature. When you do something wrong, have you ever felt that shame and guilt? Jesus sets us free. The spirit sets us free so that we don't even have to go there anymore. We can say no to addictions and say, I'm gonna step, step into it and stand firm in the freedom that Jesus has won for me and I'm going to live in the Spirit and walk in the Spirit. This is how we're able to say no. It leads to freedom when we actually walk in the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. But why would Paul warn us not to indulge in our sinful nature? What's what's the consequences there? Well, first of all, it affects you. You know, Paul lists in verse 19, he lists the characteristics of the sinful nature and he says in verse 19 that they are obvious. says, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's really, really powerful language. People who live like this according to the sinful nature and indulge in the sinful nature will not inherit the kingdom of God. We don't like to think about that. We don't like to talk about it, but Paul actually says these same things in a couple other places. In his letter to the Ephesians, look what he says to the Ephesians. But among you, there must not be even a hint. And he's talking to the church here. There must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Again, in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, notice how often that comes up, nor idolaters, also comes up a lot, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor greedy, North Americans, uh, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. This is very profound language. You know, I wonder how many of us would change how we live if we saw what our actions today affect, how they affect the future and how they affect eternity. But once again, if we come back to what we've already read in verse 16, so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Here's the thing, we can say no to these things. And even if you continue reading 1 Corinthians, I love what Paul says. He says, and that is what some of you were. You used to live like this. You used to indulge in the sinful nature, nature, but you were washed you are sanctified you are justified in the name of the lord jesus christ and by the spirit of our god how do we say no to the sinful nature It's by walking in the spirit living spirit empowered lives saying come holy spirit you know it's interesting because paul lists these things and we know that it affects us but there's actually a second reason why i think he lists these and it's because he's concerned about relationships. See, all of these things, when we indulge in the sinful nature, they destroy relationships. Listen to this list again with the idea that maybe Paul and God are very concerned about how indulging in the sinful nature ruins relationships. You know, um, when you read the first little grouping, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, obviously when we are immoral sexually, there are there's consequences for us. There could be STIs, there could be tons of emotional and mental baggage that we carry around and heartache, and um, there could be unwanted pregnancies, all of that stuff. However, think about how it affects those around us that we're in relationship with. It can affect those around you. Think about pornography, how it actually ruins marriages, it ruins intimacy. You know, think about um, how infidelity destroys families. Think about how sex addicts actually impose their wills on other people and and take away people's innocence and takes away uh, people's freedom. As people, uh, so many, like, what's the greatest slave trade today? It's the sex slave trade because of people indulging in their sinful nature. It ruins relationships. Think about, okay, this next little um, grouping, idolatry and witchcraft. Witchcraft, I never knew this, but when I was studying witchcraft, that Greek word is pharmakai, and that is where we get our word, our English word pharmacy from, and it literally means drug. Now, in the New Testament times, in Greek times, that word pharmakia was used to denote um, medicinal purposes, but also more sinister purposes like poisoning other people. And in the New Testament, it's used um, as sorcery or witchcraft. That's how it's translated because it was usually, um, drugs were used often in the occult. Now, think about drugs in our society today. Maybe it's not a part of witchcraft necessarily, but we sure know how drugs affect relationships. I'd say each one of us potentially today have been affected by drugs one way or another, whether it's individually we're affected because somebody we loves are involved in that or we see it in our community, in our cities. It's the new pandemic. COVID's a big deal, but man, drug overdoses are ruining lives and ruining the lives around them. Kind of a big deal. Look at this next section that he lists hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. These destroy relationships. If you're hating somebody, obviously that relationship is non existent. Discord, just clashing constantly. Jealousy, where you want what the other person has, or selfish ambition, where you're pushing other people down to get ahead. Fits of rage, you're not going to have a very healthy relationship if you're just blowing up all the time. You know, the last couple things that, that Paul lists, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And you know, in the Christian circle, I find that we really like to talk about our freedom when it comes to alcohol. Well, I'm free to drink. Well, of course, drinking isn't a sin, but getting drunk is a sin. But I'd also challenge like relying on anything other than the Holy Spirit to get through our day might be a bit of a sin or an issue. Moms who need wine every night, dads who need beer, or or maybe... um. Young adults, I love young adults because that's really when this freedom comes up, it's like, well, if somebody judges me, that's their issue. Whoa, read what Paul says in Romans, and he says, if I cause a brother to stumble, I will never do it again. He's talking about food, eating food that he's free to eat, um, but it might cause somebody else to stumble. Man, we, I just warn us as Christians, why do we get so hung up on our freedom and our rights? When maybe it might affect somebody else. Every alcoholic starts with one drink and we never know who has that tendency to be an alcoholic. I'm just saying, maybe we need to be a little bit careful about who we're drinking around and why we're defending our freedom so much. Maybe we need to search our hearts and say, Holy Spirit, does something need to change in me? See, the thing is, is when we indulge in our sinful nature, it really does destroy relationships. And when you look at how Paul lays out his arguments, it's actually cool because um, he uses Aristotelian methods. He even quotes Aristotle basically um, in verse 23 when he says, against such things there is no law. And so Aristotle, he he taught on how to convince people to change. And he would say you gotta start where the society is at and show how it's degenerating and then show them where they need to go and that will convince change. And uh, Aristotle, even in his politics, his writing the politics, um, he looks at what a deviant society looks like. And he says that what makes virtue virtue is that it promotes unity within a society, but what, um, what makes a vice is that it tears apart that society or community, it causes anarchy or chaos, and it reduces human beings to animal-like behavior. And Paul even uses that when you read verse 15, if you keep on biting and devouring one another, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. And then Paul lists uh, the, the sinful nature, these consequences or these actions that are obvious of the sinful nature, he lists those. And those basically define the Galatian society. That's exactly how they would be painted. So Paul paints this picture. says, do not indulge in the sinful nature. Do not live how you used to live. Rather, here's how we're supposed to live. In verse 22 and 23, I love it because he says, but the fruit of the spirit is this. It's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. See, Paul lists what they used to live like. He lists how the society lives. They indulge in their sinful nature. But Paul says, do not use your freedom to go back there. You've been set free from that. Rather, walk in the spirit. Because when you walk in the spirit, he produces your fruit. And this promotes unity, healthy relationships, community, a healthy church healthy city these things are how we should be living as christians but it's the holy spirit who works that stuff in us he starts off with the with love and it's not the first time he mentions love in this chapter in verse six he says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love the only thing that counts When you read the rest of verse 13 through 14, it says, you my brothers were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. Rather, here's the the thing, rather serve one another in love. The entire command or the entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. See, Paul is saying, we need to love it. And this verse is actually quite ironic because Paul is saying, hey, you've been set free from the law and legalism. You don't need to live there. You're free, but don't indulge in your sinful nature. Rather, this is where you're supposed to be, free to be enslaved. Because that word serve, doulos in the Greek, is literally being a slave. So enslave yourselves to each other to love one another. We're free free to serve, free to love. And the only way that we can love truly is by the power of the Holy Spirit because it's his fruit in us. And the funny thing is, is that Paul was talking about the law and how we've been set free from that. See, Paul in his writing never says that we need to do the law, but he always says when we walk in the spirit, we actually fulfill the law. It naturally comes about. We honor God. When we walk in the spirit, he produces his fruit in us and we're able to love people sacrificially. That's what Jesus said right before he died. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And how did he love us? He gave everything. He died on a cross for us. He rose again and went into heaven. And then he gave us his Holy Spirit to live in us. We have God living in us. If we have declared Jesus as our savior, we have the power of the most high God in us who empowers us to say no to sinful living, no to legalism and to walk in the spirit and have his fruit developed in us to love one another. You know, being joyful, it's not circumstantial. Happiness is having this deep joy that becomes our strength despite circumstances, no matter whatever is going on in our lives. You know, think of how many people have lost their jobs, are, are in really hard situations, and even physically with COVID. Maybe some people you know have it. The Holy Spirit gives us joy despite whatever's going on, He produces His fruit, peace. When things aren't quite um, good. (laughs) To be able to say, it is well with my soul. You know, uh, patience, when people just aren't fitting into your plan. Kindness, when people frustrate you. Goodness, doing what's right. Faithfulness, carrying through on your commitments, what you say you're going to do. You do them. Gentleness, I love what Proverbs says, a gentle answer turns away wrath and self-control. Holding back. And the, actually, it's cool that Paul lists this because this is one of the, uh, the Greek um, most valued characteristics, actually. So he ties it up saying, this is what the Holy Spirit produces. You cannot do it by yourself. See, we can't be good people on our own. I know in, in society, we like to say, oh, we're naturally good, but I watch my son, Cooper, and he's not naturally good. I have to teach him how to be good. I need to teach him to obey for his benefit. See, the Holy Spirit is the only one who produces these things in us. And it's not trying really hard to be a good Christian, saying, Holy Spirit, come change me. See, when I read the list of the vices or the sinful nature characteristics, if you've been in the church for any length of time, sometimes it's easy to read those and think, oh, I'm doing pretty good. I'm not that bad. But then when I read the list of the fruit of the Spirit, I say, whoa, God, you got a lot of work to do in me. I don't always love sacrificially. Even though I have these two wonderful boys, sometimes I'm angry to get up in the middle of the night. I don't wanna sacrifice my sleep. You know, sometimes I don't have peace when I'm wondering, are we gonna get jobs? Is money gonna come in from our business? How are we gonna do, what, what is this gonna look like? You know, sometimes I'm, well, recently I haven't been very kind on the phone because my truck is still in the shop after seven weeks. So I've been a little bit frustrated. But God still requires me to be kind. So, Holy Spirit, produce your fruit in me. Change me. You know, gentleness. It's funny, I'm preparing for this, and I've been praying, Holy Spirit, produce your fruit in me. And last weekend, I flew off the handle at Trevor. I just lost it. I didn't have a gentle answer. Thankfully, he's gracious and he forgives me and we work it out. But man, it's a little bit embarrassing if you know what I mean. I'm prepping to preach and here I'm doing the exact opposite and having a fit of rage, indulging in my sinful nature because it's my right to let him know how I think. Holy Spirit, change me. It starts here and then it goes out because these things promote healthy relationships. They build up our marriages, our relationships with our kids, our parents, our siblings. It promotes unity within the church. It actually affects our cities and our nation at large when we walk empowered by the Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to change us. It starts with us. It's funny, one of my, one of my friends was sharing with me a little bit ago that um, she was praying for patience, and she was frustrated getting frustrated, because she's like, God, why aren't you helping me with patience? My son is being so frustrated. And then she told me, she's like, then I realized, oh, this is an opportunity actually to exercise patience and to walk in the spirit when I'm frustrated. See, fruit basically can only be cultivated within relationships. It's really easy to be loving when you're not around anybody. But over the past five months, I'm sure many of you who have been stuck at home maybe with kids or your spouse or something, you realize I need to cultivate love or peace or patience because when we're with people, there's going to be clashes, but how are we going to manage those situations? How do we live? It's by walking in the Holy Spirit, saying, God, give me your love. Give me your peace. Give me your patience. Fruit can basically be only cultivated in relationship to other people see spirit empowered living that's what brings us freedom brings us freedom from the law but freedom to say no to our sinful nature and it actually helps build up relationships it strengthens relationships who wants good relationships in their family who wants a good and healthy marriage who wants to be a good employee or a good employer who wants to be a good coworker where your people like your coworkers like you? It starts with walking in the spirit, asking Holy Spirit, change me. So this is what it looks like. But I, I want to end on this question. How do we actually cultivate spirit-empowered living? What does that look like? Because I it's like, okay, we're called to walk in the spirit, live in the spirit, be led by the spirit, keep in step with the spirit but how do I cultivate that relationship? And that's really what I've been asking myself and working on myself, is to be aware of his presence. And I think it really does start with reading scripture, getting into the Bible and saying, Holy Spirit, what do you wanna speak to me today? What needs to change? What do I need to do differently? See, God speaks to me through his word. That's how God speaks to most of us. It's through his word. But then from there throughout the day, it's not like I walk around with a Bible in front of my face, you know, trying to feed my sons. Uh, no, but then I, I'm asking God, please help me to be aware of your presence. You know, how do we cultivate this relationship? I think it also starts by knowing you're good with God. If you've accepted Jesus as your savior, you have the Holy Spirit within you, you have been cleansed and you're good with God. He loves you. You know, I watch my husband, and he loves Cooper. So obviously, Levi too, but Cooper you can play with. And he comes home, and he's just delighted. And even when Cooper messes up, and he's not being a good boy, it's not like we change our, life, our, our love for him. We still delight in him, and we want to hear from him. See, sometimes I think we view our relationship with God differently than human relationships. Because we think, well, I've messed up too many times or I'm dealing with this again. I can't come to God again. And really, God just wants to hear from us because he delights in you. He loves you, you're good with him. So have a conversation. Even when you mess up, say, God, I'm sorry, I did it again. And he's like, come, come on, we're gonna do this together. Let's go ask for forgiveness, or let's go and repent. Let's let's say no to these things, and I'm going to help you. But to know that you're good with God, and then ask him to be aware of your, or ask him to help you be aware of his presence. Ask for his power in your life. Start praying, God, produce your fruit in me. Help me to walk in your freedom, to love other people, to be joyful, to be peaceful, to be patient. Start asking the Holy Spirit to change us. Because could you imagine what it would look like if we live spirit-empowered lives? Could you imagine the changes and the effects it would have on on our relationships? Even the the individual freedom, you'd be able to say no to, to sinful nature. You would be set free. Addictions, Say goodbye to them. And I've seen addicts be set free and this is what encourages them. They don't have to do it on their own. They have the power of the most high God living in them that helps them say no. Sometimes there's still temptation. We're not ever free from temptation, but we have power to say no. You know, think about how it would set us free in our relationships, in our marriages to just love one another and put our selfish desires, self-centeredness up aside and actually enslave ourselves to each other to love one another. Think about how family or siblings would, would act differently if we were spirit empowered. Think about how we'd act towards our parents if we were spirit empowered. Think about how it would affect our workplaces if we live spirit-empowered lives every moment, I think people might ask, what's the deal? And I think our nation and our culture and our world desperately needs to see a different way of living so that they would say, what's different? And we can say, we're free because Jesus died for me. I'm free to say no to the things that actually destroy me and destroy those around me because I have the Holy Spirit in me. Do you wanna know Jesus? I just think, man, if we live spirit-empowered lives, if I lived a spirit-empowered life more than I am, I'm not perfect. I just shared with you guys, I'm still working on this. And I think it's always going to be a work in progress. We even sang that in my testimony. If, you're not, if I'm not dead, you're not finished or you're not done, something like that. God's still working in us. he's gracious and he wants to walk with us. So I guess I'd ask you guys, if you don't know Jesus, maybe you're thinking, I want freedom. And I'd encourage you, ask Jesus to forgive you. It's a simple prayer. There's not a special technique or anything like that. It's just saying, God, I'm sorry. I've messed up. Can you forgive me? Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Make me clean and come live in me. It's a simple prayer like that. And I'd encourage you, if you want a relationship with Jesus, pray something like that. Fill out a comment card here or contact us online. And we want to help you with your relationship with God. And for the rest of you, maybe there's something that you need to actually repent of. Maybe you're thinking, man, I've been indulging in the sinful nature. I know that God is gracious, and so I've been abusing that grace. Maybe you need to repent, which literally means turning away from that thing, stopping and running towards God, running to his arms. He's gracious and he's forgiving. And for the rest of us, I actually really wanna just pray for us today that we would be aware of the spirit and that he would produce his presence in us, his fruit in us. So if you wanna stand this morning, I wanna pray for us, pray those things for us. And once again, if you wanna start a relationship with Jesus, please talk to us. Reach out to us, we want to help you with that. Let me pray for us. God, we just thank you for your presence. We thank you that you love us, that you are crazy about us. You delight in us. Jesus, you came and you died for us, and you rose again and you sent your Holy Spirit to live within us so that we can walk in freedom, we can say no to sinful nature, and we can actually produce your fruit. Lord, that, that promotes really healthy relationships and health for individuals. God, I just pray that you would come and empower your people. Start with us. Help us not to look around at the people around us, but help us to say, Holy Spirit, change me. And Lord, may we walk with you this this week. Tomorrow morning, may we wake up and may we say, Holy Spirit, empower me. Change me. May your fruit be produced in me. And so, God, we do this all and we pray all of this that it would glorify your name and that we would be lights to those around us. So, Father, we love you, we thank you, and we pray these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Go in peace, you guys, and go walk in the Holy Spirit.